Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Murphy. I'm joined by the regular rugby crew that is Sam and Westy. I hope everyone is enjoying the sunshine. I got burnt again, um, which is just... I'm just... Just put on sun cream, Stephen. God damn it. You're such an idiot sometimes. Uh, but these two guys in front of me... I don't know, Westy, you're kind of... You're sitting in the sunshine now, Westy. I don't know, have you gotten burnt or is it just a glowing sun coming on your face? It's just the glowing sun on my face. I'm just a very, uh, you know, sun-kissed type guy uh, you are I've yeah. always said that about you you were Salad, pretty sunburned I text you for a pint on Saturday and you replied no I can't I'm too sunburned I literally I think I got like sunstroke a little bit I felt like sick on Saturday night like, I was like do I go for a pint I was sitting on the couch like it's like I, do, I genuinely I was like I'm not going to be good crack I'm going to be absolutely sweating the pub somewhere like just with the heat I'm not putting jeans on that's for goddamn sure over my sunburn so yeah sorry Westy but thank you for being so understanding um, how was your weekend apart from that, was he? Uh, my weekend was pretty good. Um, I didn't do a lot uh, on Friday and Saturday. I went and did park run here in Ornmore uh, for the first time. Um, just a 5k run around Renville. It's kind of organized by a group and everyone kind of does it together. It kind of motivates. Uh, how long did that take you? About 15 minutes? Uh, it took me, I think it was 21 minutes. Uh, I came third overall. Um, oh, wow. But I also, I also, it's all about where you start. Though. I started in the middle of the pack and, you know, you're just never going to get all the way to the front. Um, excuses but yeah it was really good um, had coffee then down there by Renville's lovely uh, coffee van the seahorse um, really nice really nice spot yeah watched the college game of course here and then I went into town to watch the uh, Leinster Munster game and then I drank most of Galway um, and was in bed for most of Sunday yeah can we talk about this because you I text you I'd say 10am Sunday morning and you responded about four o'clock, maybe. I think it was about, th- about half three, but yeah, maybe it was four o'clock. Half three, four, yeah, and that's that wouldn't be like you. So you must have done the absolute dog on it. So I have this theory that it's it's one in ten big drinking sessions. It hits me like it's like often I'm in bed. If I have a really bad hangover, I'm in bed like until six or seven in the evening. Like that actually wore off pretty quick. But like yeah, the, the last two times I was out, I felt nothing the next day. I was fine, and then yeah, this one really really got me. And arguably, I didn't drink. Wasn't like I drank. No, I didn't eat really. I didn't have. I didn't eat after my second lunch. I didn't have a proper dinner. Um, but yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I had to pay for it now on Sunday. Yeah, that's 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 tough. To, and are you sleeping in bed? Like, are you just lying there? Like, oh no, I'm asleep. Yeah, yeah. So like, I that's I can't. I'm the opposite. I'm up at yeah seven or eight, dying down. Same. I cannot lie in bed at all. I'm envious of the people who can sleep. That is. I have. So I have in my mind. There's like a Big Mac. Or chicken fillet roll on a pedestal with like lights shining on it. The, the second I'm awake, I'll just and get me some salt. Uh, I will regularly just drive down or I mean walk down to the garage and get, <laughs> get some salt and rolls. Guards, come get him. He heard here first. I often have like a false start. I think I got out of bed at 12, walked downstairs and said, No, I can't do it. And went back up and got back into bed for three hours. And after that one, I was fine. That's um yeah jealous Sam how was your weekend you were back back home in Dublin yeah I went to go visit my dad because he was sick last weekend it was the daughter's birthday so he couldn't make it up so I just said to bring him bring her down and visit him so went to see that watched the Connacht game with him uh, and then the curse of Sam was transferred I was in South Dublin and I brought my jinx sorry about that Leinster fans but uh, I brought it, I brought it all the way with me to South Dublin and yeah I watched the two games. Watched the Leeds game with Aswick Leeds supporter, so he was he was happy enough with the the result. And then yeah, just took it easy and came back then Sunday. So it was uh, one of them weekends where it didn't really feel like a weekend. I didn't did nothing. I stayed at home with my dad. But like I went into work this morning, kind of going, 
didn't do much like productive nothing, you know, sitting on my own couch, making my own ass groove. I was, I was in someone else's house, so. Putting an, an ass groove on someone else's couch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, did, I had a good weekend bar getting burnt. See, the problem was I left, I went to meet a, uh, two friends with coffee in Salt Hill. I left the house at quarter past nine in the morning. And I just, the thought of sun cream never crossed my head. I think that early in the morning, you just don't think of it. Because again, we're not used to this shit. And then I wasn't home till like two o'clock. And it was, it was, it's only the one side of my body really as well that got really done. Because <laughs> of the way I was sitting. So my right arm is way worse than my left arm. But again, I'm going to be sickly bronzed the next few days. On so, your right side. You look like a... On my right, yeah. So if you want to... Yeah, 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 definitely. I'm a truck, especially if I wear a hat. I very much look like a truck driver. Uh, but then that was good. Sunday, uh, did I do much Sunday? I'm trying to think. Which is, it was literally yesterday. Uh, golfing. No, not much. I did, I played a few holes uh, golfing. And uh, I'm in one of the worst ruts I've ever been in my life. Uh, I shot 89 uh, on Friday even. Uh, and I'm off 7. Well, I'm off 8 technically with the course handicap. But... Eight over is what I should be in around, and I was nineteen over, can, uh, which sucks ass. I can lend you this great book that I got months ago. Uh, <laughs> golf's not a game of perfect. You mean the one that I bought and gave to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. your book. Sorry, I, yeah, I can give that back to you if you want. Golf, and I, and I, you know what, golf wasn't a game of perfect last Friday, so I will tell you that it was far from it. Uh, I swear, fun in the sun. Do you know, do you know what? Do you know what's fun? Uh, quickly becoming the best part of this podcast is uh, Westy eating dinner as he records. Uh, that's what are you eating, Wesley? I'm making dinner. I'm just chopping oh, you're veg. Making, oh, got it multitask, multitasker. man. Oh, wow, that's Im- I'm impressed. The real question, though, not your is not your golf game, but is did you watch the Eurovision on Saturday night? No. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up because I, I tweeted about it. So I actually didn't watch Saturday night. I watched it lying on the couch in a wallow of misery um on sunday morning which was very enjoyable you watch on the eurovision what a waste of time i'm so not in the eurovision no so it's such a waste here's here's it it was a waste but it almost wasn't because i had gone the whole day without without finding out who won it so i turned to my partner i said you know what i'm gonna watch the eurovision now because and before i said the because she said oh sweden won i was like yeah oh wow that's terms for divorce get her out if i were you get her out i would have packed in watching the eurovision like if you knew the winner yeah well, yeah, obviously, that definitely don't do that. But yeah, I agree. No, look, Wes, you are, do you like it or do you just sort of are you are you liking the idea of it kind of thing? Do you like to make fun of it kind of thing? A little of both. Like I don't like this thing of like, oh, I watch it ironically because I I do genuinely enjoy it, but I enjoy it for everything that it is. Like it's, it's Wes, you just loves the pageantry. I do love the pageantry, but it's complete. It's complete and utter over the top ridiculousness. And every so often, there's actually one or two decent songs that come through that never actually win it. But it just seems like a colossal waste of millions and millions of dollars, pounds, euros, whatever you want to call it. You can say that, but it's watched by twice the audience of your beloved American football thingy that you're always banging on about. So Whoa, don't throw that back in my face. Don't throw that back. The sport waste, is, that's sport. That's an actual contest. Yeah, but the halftime, there's a big deal about performing during that, isn't there, during the American football? And sure, these guys, no one cares about these guys performing to twice the audience in the Irish. Yeah, but the last halftime Super Bowl show was Rihanna, who's like an award-winning artist, not six grown-ass Croatian men in their underwear. Rihanna's <laughs> pregnant as well. Just someone in Eurovision do that? No. Yeah, I just, I just hate. I just don't like it. I'm sorry. It's just a waste. None of the songs are, were anyway sort of good. The performances aren't good. 
I give I give there's a few things now. I did used to watch it a little bit. There's a few things. Sometimes there are a couple of bangers, but you know about them prior to it because anyone who's into Eurovision, like my old housemate, knows the songs that are coming up and puts them in a Spotify playlist and they're grand and they're just bangers. And we used to play them around the radio all the time. The other side of it I will say is from uh, listening to people in Liverpool who went to it and stuff, who people who go regularly to the Eurovision, Liverpool did it right, and the whole city seemed to have been involved, and they made like a big festival and fan zone down on the the water. Whereas in the past couple of years, supposedly the cities that have been hosting it, it's been very much isolated in the arena that it's in, and that's kind of people outside of that didn't know what was going on. Whereas I think if you have a good host city like that, you'd make the excuse to go just to go to the festival side of things as opposed to the actual the event itself. Like I think that it could you could make a good weekend out of it if it landed somewhere cool, like in a good city. Yeah, it's just look. It's not for me. And any 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 Euro contest that has Australia in it, I'm out. You've lost me at the first hurdle. And also, Graham Norton, you're Irish. Is is that piss off anyone else? No. Terry Wogan hosted for years as well. He was yeah, there. exactly. Is there any decency among but these they, people? They cut to Ragnar Klavan as the Estonian uh, spokesperson, supposedly. Ragnar Klavan was like the fourth choice centre back at Liverpool. He was bought for like one million. Oh, I did. I did hear. <laughs> the problem was I tweeted about Eurovision, and then the Twitter algorithm was like, "Oh, you must like Eurovision." So here's loads of tweets about Eurovision. I was like, "No, I actually made fun of it." Anyway, look at we're we're, we're nearly ten minutes in, and we've spoken nothing about rugby. Uh, but yeah, Eurovision sucks, spin it. Uh, let's get on Go to on the Scrappy, RC. along with your friend. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that later because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of torn on that, but we'll get to that later on. Connacht uh, were in action, obviously, travelled down to South Africa to play the Stormers um, at DHL Stadium, which was an absolute pigsty, which we will also get talking about, but uh, unfortunately did not come out in top. 43 points, 25. Scoreline, not, not fair on, on Connacht at all. Um, and yeah, Connacht are out. Their season is officially over. Uh, but let's get stuck into the game. Like Westy, I mean, twelve minutes in, we were eight nil up. Like the belief was there. It was a great start. Stormers looked all over the shop. They, and again, that, a lot of that came from Connacht pressure. I mean, we were we were there. We we believed, didn't we? Yeah, there's actually multiple times in that game where I thought we were gonna gonna sneak it. Um, but I think, look, I don't I don't think. Stormers played their best game, and I think it was probably a really good opportunity for us to, to get one over on them. Um, I think, well, again, I'm not sure if it wasn't their best game. I think they definitely had a conservative game plan. Uh, they knew we kicked a lot. They knew they were good in the counter attack, um, and they knew they were gonna that they would probably have the physical edge in terms of like one up runners. Um, so I think what they did really well was they picked their moments to counter attack. And I mean, as I think I, I tweeted already, and I was talking to you guys about it. I think three or four of their six tries come directly off the back of Connacht's mistakes. And one thing that Maya Labak is so good at is changing the point of attack. One of the tries in particular steps one way, goes back the other and kicks the ball across field. It's just, he's a joy to watch. I think when he's firing, um, it, it, it brings the rest of the squad in because they have this brilliant heavy pack stuffed with Springbok internationals Um so when he's given that really strong platform and when he's, you know, when he's firing, when, he, when he's on form, um, it just makes everything look so easy for, for the backs to kind of to get through and score those tries. But yeah, I think we definitely didn't look as energetic as we did the week before. Now, whether that's just a case of our forwards couldn't get to the same level, um, maybe it's also got to have something to do with the, the, the day long of traveling to get down there and to warm up. As you've said, the pitch didn't really help us, but... 
look, if it was if it was during the season, I'd be more disappointed in it. But I think, unfortunately, it, it was a day where if we had been a little bit more accurate, um, it's not even the mistakes, right? I, I don't want to go back and be like, well, X misses a penalty to touch or X throws a forward pass here or, you know, X gives away a stupid penalty there. Like, or, you know, whoever drops a ball, like, it's no one mistake that really costs us the game. It's not even all of those mistakes. It's when we made those mistakes. We, we made mistakes at key times, either when we were going forward or when we were given a really good platform to attack. And unfortunately, those opportunities don't come up often against Team Mike Stormers. On the other side of that coin, we scored four tries against the league champions, and with five minutes to go, we were right there. Um, you can say the scoreline's not fair. Yeah, great. What's it really matter? We lost, you know, whether it's by one point or 20 points, it didn't really matter. We lost in the end. And part of me feels like it's it's a game, it's an opportunity that got away from us. But um, look, we lost to a better team on the day. And I'm proud of the guys. I can't be too, you know, upset about it. Yeah. So how, how are you viewing that? Are you viewing it as an opportunity missed? Are you viewing it as uh, the result was fair? You know, how are you viewing it? I think both. I think it is an opportunity missed in the fact that we're eight nil up. We were five points down with five minutes to go. We didn't have our best game, and we still pushed them right to the seventy eighth minute or whenever it was they scored that last try. But you know the the scoreline is fair. They were a better team t- at the time. There's a reason why the history of the league shows that semifinals are rarely ever won away from home. I think it was before the URC was created it had never been an away win in a semi-final in the league format so to have away wins in the quarterfinals is a big deal and then to have the away win you know the monster game as well it's a push to get an away win stormers run beaten at home since december 2021 outside of that one monster game a month ago it it was never going to be an easy task and connacht yeah it was an extra game that we didn't really anticipate having the the ulster game getting into the playoffs was something that looked fairly out of reach around november december and then we started to push it back and pull it back and get the results so I can say it was an opportunity lost because we were the better team for the opening 10, 15 minutes. Then they got on top and they really capitalized on some of our mistakes. We then went into ourselves a little bit. There was some uncharacteristic errors. There was some needless errors. There was a few just good bits of play from them capitalizing on mistakes, taking it, you know, taking advantage of their ability and you know showing why they have so many spring box in the team, showing why they won the league last year, showing why they're in the final again this year. It's, it can be both a missed opportunity and also a fair result. Like it was always going to be seventh against third. It was always going to be last year's champions against a team that didn't get the playoffs uh, last year. No, we didn't make playoffs last year. So yeah, so it was always going to be a really, really hard game added on top of that to a pitch that was quite sub subpar in South Africa with the days traveling on a week's turnaround. It's, it's a game to be proud of the Connick lads, but also to think if, we can now take the learnings from that game. And I know you don't like saying taking the learnings. You don't want to be kind of condescending and patting them on the back, but they got to the semifinals, which was no one, no one had said that they would in December. And then come January, we kind of went on this run. They got to the semifinals. They didn't play their best. They still scored four tries and were five points down with five minutes to go. There is room for growth there. We've added bulk in Jensen and Joyce. We've added world-class players in Santiago, we've added a depth of sevens players. You know, hopefully a couple of them come good, like John Porch. I think we're on the right track. We have a good coaching ticket. It's confirmed now. So I think that there's a lot that you can take out of that game. 
you can still view it as a missed opportunity and the lads will be hurting because they'll know it was there for them. There's a couple of mistakes that they, you know, individually will probably have to try and get over because there's some some individual errors and some team errors. But on the whole, I think, proud of that performance because, you know, Munster might do it again, but no one else has been able to go there in the last two years and do anything. So it's, it's you know, it's, it was never going to be easy. And I, I, I came out of that going, you know, like, I think every single person to a man, there's no faulting any effort. Yeah, obviously going away for semi-finals is one thing, but going down to South Africa is a whole different extra kind of edge to it. Um, let's start with the difference in the game. I thought the one massive difference was, and it just tends to be the great teams versus the not-so-great teams, the physicality on display from the Stormers was just overwhelming, I think, for Connacht. Um, and it's not, I was saying to you guys in the WhatsApp group, it's not even just the the physicality, it's the aggression. Like, the likes of uh, Roos at, at seven, like, he is... As such a pain in the hole to play against and I, I said it on Twitter that's a compliment like he's a disaster he's Stormers were really good at you know they kept falling on the wrong side of the ruck but they, they, again they knew it wasn't going to be pinged and they'd get, out, they'd get out just in time but they'd slow the ball enough and when you're playing against or playing against that for 80 minutes it's just going to take so much out of you and like Connacht are a good pack but they're not they're not that you know size of player of a pack and again wearing uh, with the travel involved I think that really, really separated the teams, and Stormers were brilliant at it. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't want to get into the referee and Adamson. Look, it wasn't a good game by his, and I'm saying that for both teams, he just was poor. Uh, some of the stuff that him and the team didn't spot. Again, I don't really see how that's how that happens in rugby, but it is. Uh, but again, we're not. I don't think anyone's going to sit here and say that was the main reason that Connacht lost, because I don't think that was the case. But Wesley, do you agree? Do you think the physicality of the Stormers was the big separating point? Um. Yeah, well, I think it's yeah, I think it's one of the main separating points. I'd say um, you can definitely see. I mean, so our our game plan normally works. It's standard enough of trying to draw players in and create space out wide. We saw it. Um, it works in a sense for the first try for the John Porch try. That's a try we scored five six times in the last two years by that big overarching pass going out to, or not to Porch, sorry, to Hanson. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a, a, a cornerstone of our game is to draw in with with our bigger carries and then create space for our, our backs to execute and fire at the back that becomes a lot harder when you're dealing with a, a such a big strong pack because all of those carries are so energy zapping um you know i said it already especially when you think about how uh, just how attritional the game was last weekend as well uh, you know we were all shocked to hear that there was no no players unavailable due to injury or you know you know injury or strain or exhaustion or you know whatever it might have been um but yeah i think I, th- I think it, I think the, the the pack for the Stormers was, was a huge part. I thought Kitsaf had an amazing game. He had two or three pretty high profile turnovers, and his work rate out. Evan Roos as well until he came off. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, it's, a, it's a time anti with the the beautiful offload at the end of the game. You know, just like just to add insult to injury. Like now they start showing off their forward flair. Um, but as I said, I think that dominant pack. Let's say, and again, I say dominant pack because even in the scrum where we're normally. You know, it was a great opportunity for us. I think they ex- they executed really well. That early penalty that goes against Finley Beelum, Francois Herbert hits him hard and early and knocks him off his feet. And, you know, because the pitch is in such shit, it, you know, it, it was definitely, an, I, I'd say they t- tried to use the pitch to their advantage. But uh, my point is that, as I said earlier, with a, such a strong pack, such a strong heavy in pack, uh, is it gave the backs room to execute. It gave Marion LeBock and Herschel Yankees this great platform to unleash, you know, all the powers, all the weapons they have. 
uh, Mount Davies and um, and Willems as well. I, I kind of think you know I often think with the Bach and Willems is like they're so lovely to watch together playing. Even even polishing the boots after one try is okay. I was annoyed about it, but I was like, ah, oh, you guys are dicks, <laughs> but you're so good. Um, but yeah, so I think that dominant forward pack gives them a platform. It only gives them a platform to execute on the counter-attack, but it also wears us down quite a lot. And I think that's one of the reasons we talked a lot about it uh, last season, more so than this season, but it was compound errors. So you see it again twice in this game. They don't just score one try. They score about three tries in the space of 10 minutes because our heads go down. And when you're running into a brick roll repeatedly and repeatedly, repeatedly, it becomes a lot harder to keep that head up. Now, we do get our heads back up and we do get back into it. Uh, but again, last 10 minutes of the game they run in two tries you know it's um it, it makes everything else a lot harder when you're being rushed by that big aggressive pack in defense we also just for a second the stats for the urc are such a farce because they, they build the two uh scrums as weighing the same and i was like man i got eyes like they def- they are not the same like me and you we're not the same height we're like, not the same height I'm, I'm handsome tall you're the type of tall walk to an airport people stop what they're eating to look at you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, uh, well, sorry, that reference went straight over my head. That's from it's a great Will Farrell reference. Internship, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it. But, uh, seen no, it. like I actually the Finley penalty aside, I thought the scrum held its own against what was a stronger pack until the subs when we kind of made wholesale changes uh, in the whole front row at about sixty, and they they went okay heads down younger lads on Doug and Angel, you know, not Buckley and Phelan, and they went for it. And that's when they got a real upper hand there. That 20 minutes kind of turned the tide again because we were actually coming back into the game at that point. But I just don't, I don't believe for a second that those two starting packs weighed the same. Like they're underestimating, we're overestimating. There's no way they're the same weight. It's a, t- a ton of feathers and a ton of bricks. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, Which would you be happy uh, hit with? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, on that though, Sam, like we were, we were discussing, I was thinking like, you know, the, the best teams tend to have these sort of aggressive physical packs. And I, I think Connacht this year, I think stats why show us we're, we're very low on the offload stats. We don't really look to offload. It's just not part of our our strategy. Is that something that Connacht should look at next season? Maybe just for example, when you're going up against the Stormers, you're not going to bully them. You're not going to physically overpower them. Having that kind of a pop threat of, of an offload is something that we've done previously in seasons been very successful with. Is that is that something I think Wilkins will look at, or is that not in his kind of coaching makeup? It's hard to know. Uh, Wilkins was in charge of the attack this year and going to continue to be in charge of the attack with Mark Sexton as his assistant. So if that is the case, uh, it probably will continue to be quite similar. But you know that's under Andy Friend's overarching coaching theory. So maybe. But we have been an offloading team in the past. This year we're low on offloading numbers, but we have in the past been an offloading team. I think this year we came we came uh, this year and maybe previous the year previous last year we became more of a pullback team and a keep the ball alive through passing as opposed to offloading team uh we tried to quite often pull it back off that first pod and have multiple options so not necessarily our offloading stats aren't that high but we do tend to still keep the ball alive as much as a team that offload and i think part of that comes into like what you said is we have our pack has been brilliant this year it stood up you know it stood up to a, a strong ulster pack a week ago it didn't it didn't cower in this game against a really strong uh, pack. And, you know, the Lions game and Sharks game, maybe they were underperforming South African teams, but they're still big lads. And we're like, our pack has held its own all season. I think we're second or third rated scrum now. And we were first for a good while. So I wouldn't have too much 
to say in kind of disappointment added, but one of the things that it's not is probably a gain line smashing playoff nine pack the way Ulster's has been. And that's probably where you're losing out on those opportunities to offload. You know, the likes of a Bundy used to get him shoulder onto the weak shoulder and around and give that offload. Tom Farrell would have done the same. Whereas I think that actually our game plan this year has been to utilize the athleticism of our pack and the ball handling skills of the likes of a Buckley, a Beelum, Heffernan, and Murray. You know, they take it as a pod. They can take it up. They can hold their own, but they also pull it back to Jack and we get it wide. So I don't think that it's going to be a, a yes or no answer in terms of will we offload more? Do we need to offload more? I think the introduction of Joyce and Jansen and uh, will will help to bring that grunt to it. Josh Murphy, Hurley Langdon have really grown into their own this year, so we want to see more of them again. And Prendergast is probably going to bulk a little bit more. So I think that there's an evolution to this pack that may allow us to fight. And I think you know it's very obvious that they signed Joyce and Jansen with the idea that you you you're coming up against four South African teams a year. You're going to need that little bit of bulk and. Maybe that's just something that they've addressed with the signings. And I don't think it's going to happen now because we re-signed Robson McCoy. But, you know, we were told last year that there was an Aussie international signed and then it fell through and Robson McCoy was brought back and then he's re-signed for another year. You know, a little bit more bulk there in the backup forwards, uh, in the backup front row wouldn't go straight either because I do think that, yeah, it's, it's those four games a year plus maybe an Ulster that you do see the potential for us to struggle. Every other game, I think we're absolutely sound. So it's, it's just worth mentioning on the pack, just before we move on, that we more than likely will not have Josh Murphy available next year. So he signed a three-year contract, two-year playing. Um, he is almost a qualified doctor. He has to do his residency before, uh, within a certain window. I don't know exactly how this works, but he has to do his residency within a certain window. Uh, and a, he was looking at doing it part-time, but you can't do that for some reason, either uh, in Galway or in Ireland. Um, so he will probably take the majority of next season off to complete his residency and become a qualified uh, doctor. So I imagine he'll train with the team. He may be available, but uh, what I'm hearing is that he won't be available next year. Are you breaking, you're breaking that news on That's the podcast? I'm answer. breaking that really strong rumour that I really hope is true now because I was reluctant to say it earlier in the year. Josh Buffer's going to tweet me like, what the hell is that Westy talking about? breaking news. The breaking hearts news is what that is, Westy. Yeah, hopefully, maybe he'll be there, you know, in emergency break glass, like, you know, injury, hopefully. The idea, though, I think Murphy's played a lot more in second row than we thought he would when we signed him. I thought he was going to be a six uh, with Prendergast and, you know, Prendergast moving to eight and you have Murphy in there, but then the emergency, Hurley Langdon. Uh, Dowling is fantastic player and he looks to be getting stronger and stronger and Joyce is coming in you know Niall Murray Dara Murray is going to get more game time so like Josh Murphy has been integral to a lot of what's good this season and I, I figure as him a long-term leader in the Connacht dressing room uh, and on the pitch but yeah if he's not around as much next year if Westy's rumors are true uh, if he's not around as much next year this would be you know it's an opportunity for Joyce to really stake his claim and come in and, and show why we signed him and bring in that bit of bulk and then for Dowling you know if he can stay fit and Thornbury Jesus forgotten about Thornbury he signed on as well and he's first name in the team sheet when he's fit so yeah it's, it's a position we're actually quite strong in to be fair we do we need some injury luck but we'll get it I think as well Murphy what he brings culturally as well I think is, is huge but um, yeah look we'll move on uh, before we just kind of wrap up this we, we will be doing a, a proper season recap uh, podcast uh, next week probably or the week after uh, but you know, before we get to how great of a season it's been, we would be doing a disservice to Connor fans by not talking about Jack Carty because I got about I'd say twenty tweets 
and messages uh, at the weekend and I don't want to seem like we're dodging the subject or anything like that uh, so let's talk about it, lads yeah look at Jack we like Jack on this podcast you guys love Jack on this podcast I would say it's probably a fair way of saying it um, I don't have the same you know the, the deep deep fond memories like you guys do because I'm much newer to this scene um, but look yeah did he did he have his best game of the weekend no did he have a fantastic or did he have a really bad game I would say no also but there's just been kind of a in my opinion there's been too many silly errors throughout the season and I know the missing touches they're you know debatable and whatnot but it just happens too often for my liking um and a lot of the questions kind of on Twitter were just kind of like you know and a few South African I think Stormers fan tweeted saying like if you had a better 10 these would have ran us a lot closer I don't know if that's fair I don't know if that's you know the question of hey if you had Ross Byrne in, in the 10 jersey this year instead of Jack what would the season look like they're all hypotheticals and while they might be fun to debate and talk about there's also no way of proving anything but I think the question is and Wesley we can kick it to you here first if, if you're available and not chopping still um, do Connacht need to look at 10 do they need to bring someone in to push Jack do they need to improve in that position do you think that has cost us points this year um, I think it's time to be it's honesty hour here guys so let's let's be open here it's a safe space no not doing it Um. I think, obviously, Jack did get a lot of criticism for the weekend. Some of it justified. Some of I think there is still a small cohinge of people who like to see Jack fail. Um, I don't even think he failed necessarily that much. You know, like he was clearly targeted by their you know blitz defense. Like they were taking every opportunity they could to get hits on Jack and to kind of rattle him. And that kind of does seem to he you know I, I said at one point uh, like a. I said it to my partner watching the game. I was like, his head's gone. Like, you can see it. Um, but that said, he comes back at halftime and is is in better shape. But you do see, we swap in who our first receiver is. So Bundy takes the first receiver. Mac takes the first receiver. I think to give Jack a break from that, like, relentless blitz defense coming at him. Um, do we need to bring some in to push him? I, I don't know if we do. I think we have Hawkshaw in the squad who has looked really strong in most of the games that he's played. Um, an issue of mine is kind of this conversion of Tom Daly to 10. I think he's, it's not necessarily anything against him and his ability as a player, but it's rather that that's the right thing to do is to convert a player who has some experience at 10 into a fully fledged 10. Um, especially when he had likes of like caught forward in my mind was a 10 in the academies coming up, and now he's been very much converted the other way to a center. Um, and of course, Harry West coming through the academy as well. Um, that's, that's a shout out every week. Um, so, I don't think necessarily need to bring anybody in to push him. I think one of the problems for, like, if you look at the games that Jack has played this season, he's playing 75, 78 minutes each time. And what we do need is somebody who can alleviate the pressure or change things up when it's not going Jack's way. I'm not saying that today, if Hawkshaw was on the bench, he took Jack Carthy off after half an hour because he's earned more respect than that. But, it, it would be nice to have another 10, like maybe clipping his heels a little bit just to keep him on form, but also to give us a kind of secondary option. I think if Jack's not available for that game and you're starting anybody else in the 10 jersey, I think we're all a little concerned. You know, I don't think we have anybody who's really up at even that level in terms of minutes alone, let alone, you know, ability of playing and cohesion with the squad. Um, but Jack Curry did not lose us that game. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, he made a couple of mistakes, but... It's not one person's fault. The Here problem with the 10 jersey is your mistakes are much more highlighted than, say, a forward 
you know, knocking a ball on and whatnot. But Sam, I'm sh- I-, I can probably tell where you're going to go with this, but you go ahead. <laughs> Jimmy Gopperth, free agent, experienced head. So, so you want someone to you want someone to be brought in, not to replace, but to back. Well, Fitzy's going. So as of right now, we're losing a ten. Uh, we're losing our second choice ten. There's no denying that. I like Westy. Think you know, Kyle Ford came up as a ten, but he's playing more at twelve. They need to make a decision on what they want Hawkshaw to do because when he's brought in, it was billed as being a ten. With uh, and then Friendy said during the year that he's naturally a twelve. So if that's how they see him, then that's two twelves, and we're nailing down our twelve situation for the long term. In the extended long term period, you have Harry West, who's really highly regarded, uh, both in the Ireland camp and in the Connacht camp. But there is a big disparity in between Jack Carty starting ten, thirty years old, twenty nine, thirty years old. Uh, and Harry West coming through, not even 20. Carl Ford is 21, Hawkshaw's 23. But if they're both centres, then commit to that. And then you've got Daly, who's a makeshift 10. I believe to the end of the season, I don't think that's his long-term role in Connacht. So with Fitzy going, you have to, I think, replace him for a year or two while you get Harry West through or while you decide whether or not Hawkshaw is a 10 or not. If Hawkshaw's fully fledged a 10 and he's taken Fitzy's place, happy happy days but so far this season he's played his best rugby at 12 and he's kind of been considered a 12 and friendy even said that he's more naturally a 12 and makes a, does a job at 10 so my ideal situation would be to bring in an experienced head that is the deputy to jack but with the idea that he can play instead of jack if needs be if jack's forms off or if jack you know is tired or if he's covering from injury or whatever it is uh, and someone who you know won't be coming in looking to sit and be the second choice. We'll want to come in and push Jack and we'll want to come in and, you know, really, you know, put the fire and the pressure under him because that's where you get the best out of your your players. If you have co- genuine competition for a position and Fitzy Lee, I think like the likes of a Gopper, you know, it's, it's a pipe dream. He's old now, but I think he'd be brilliant to come in and experience head almost like a Dan Parks did years ago. Uh, or JJ Hanran, who I was never too high on, but he's Irish qualified. He's probably not overly expensive playing at Dragons, where you know every single thing in Wales has just gone to absolute pot. Uh, that's another opportunity. And then another one that maybe it's a couple of years too late, but Johnny McPhillips, who was very good for Ulster and really good then for Leicester for a season, went to the second division in Pro D in France, France, and he's jumped. He's at a different team now. He's at Carcassonne. I can't remember where he's moved to now, but he's another Irish qualified opportunity. He's probably about 26. Someone in that age bracket that just kind of fills that that gap that's going to happen before Harry West is the fully fledged kind of starter or understudy. I think that you bring someone in that can push Jack for it. And I think that'll get the best out of Jack as well, because on his day, Carty is without a doubt the number one and will be the number one for Connacht when he's playing well. And I think that, you know, I don't think it's complacency. I just think it's, you know, he's captain. It's whatever it is. He can have a bad game. People have bad games. They're amplified at 10. But I think, yeah, I would like to see someone brought in for next year if Hawkshaw is not going to be a 10. If he's going to be a 12 next year, I'd like to see someone brought in to push and to kind of compete for that jersey and to to be a stopgap when needs be, to give Jack a rest when needs be, to come on and 60 instead of 75. All of those things I think are important in a squad. And I think you look around... The teams that do well are the teams that have a depth where they have two players in every position that they can look to. Like Leinster have four there or ten that they can look to. You know, Munster have three of them. One's going, one's off form, and one is the next big thing. But, you know, they've had three that they could put out and go, okay, yeah, we have a strong team out. Joey will start a couple of games. Uh, Healy will start a few games. Crowley will start a few games. The Munster fans will be happy. Connick fans wouldn't be happy this year, really, unless it's Carty starting. You know, Fitzy is he's not pushed on. Uh, 
Ford is very young. I've got a lot of faith in him, but I think he's class of 12. So I think you just need another name name in for next year, for two years at least. Yeah, it, it's difficult. I, I don't know. I'm torn on the whole. I, I see both sides of the argument. Um, I don't think it's as simple as um, Jack has cost, you know, games, whatever like that. And I think I'd love to obviously get a, a better 10 than Jack in, but who, who are you getting? There's no one really out there that's going to A, come to Connacht at that level and B, is available or all that jazz. Um, the problem is where you got you guys have kind of said it. It's like oh, if if Jack isn't playing, then there's a massive gulf. You can't have that anymore. I don't think, especially if Connacht see themselves now as a consistently top eight team, you can't have like oh, if Jack's not playing or he's not in form, which like unfortunately it happens some games that he's just not in form, or if confidence is down, you can't have like oh well we've no one else to bring on. Like that just can't be the situation going forward. If if Connacht see themselves as this. Uh, I will say this on the Tom Daly though is it worth trying just purely on the physicality I feel like t- teams target Jack purely because he's not the biggest guy in the world where Tom Daly is an absolute behemoth of a man like we don't actually know we haven't seen it enough at 10 to be like oh this won't work Yeah, do you know what I mean like is it is it worth trying a few games next season if they don't sign a 10 I think so I, I think that that is an idea and that's probably the reason why but I've was talking to someone about this last week when they were talking about Cartina's tackling and I kind of wanted to say really like, 99% of 10s aren't physical that's like part and parcel of being a 10 is letting your 12 defend for you you know and Carty's actually upped his game you know uh, he said himself is that, that true anymore though Sam like I, Sexton's I, a big 10 he's a physical 10 yeah Crow- Crowley's not he's small but he's aggressive I, I, is it going that I think, way is that the I think Car- I think Carty's though? aggressive I think Carty's far better defending than People give him credit. Uh, he he said himself that it was a weak part of his game, and that Andy Farrell was on to him and told him that's part of his game he wanted to develop. And you saw in the Ulster game, first hit up on McCluskey, forced like he forced a, a fumble. And I think his defending has been much better this year. I think a lot of what happens to Carty, and it's understandable he's made some errors. You know, missing touch twice will haunt him. There are ten errors, but I actually think defending isn't a weak point of his game. I get the side about being a big 10. If you're going to go with a big 10, yeah, Tom Daly is probably a good option at it. But you know who's also a fucking unit? It's Carl Ford. And he's actually a 10. So, like, if that that is, that might be the go-to is Ford. You know, he's just a little bit young at the moment. He's 21. That's a young for a start in 10 in a league. You know, risking someone, you know, trying it out for a year or two. Yeah, if we don't bring anyone else in, you're going to have to. But I wouldn't go into the summer now with the plan of we'll try out Tom Daly for a little bit, you know, that's, that's risking a lot for your first year as a coach for, uh, for Pete Wilkins. I think that, you know, we're supposedly in for one more. That's what I heard last week on Galway Bay is that we have one more signing to be announced. And we had heard earlier on in the year that it was going to be a 10 and a new 10 was going to be brought in. So I still believe that that's probably the area we're looking at to sign. You know, I, I can't see us bringing in any your know, world-class tight heads or loose heads or whatever. I think it's probably 10 is probably the position. Yeah, we, we've heard that too. So hopefully, um, yeah, I just think competition is never a bad thing. Look at our back row at the moment. It's the most competitive probably area and it's also the area where we're thriving the most. Um, yeah, look, the Jack the Jack question will remain until next season. Um, he could catch fire like he did, uh, what, two years ago? Um, and, you know, the, the questions won't be there anymore. But I also understand the frustrations, unfortunately, with the number 10 jersey because it's so important. Uh, but look, we'll, we'll finish the kind of talk on a high note. Westy, I mean, I think sometimes we can be so close to this that we, we have to take a step back. Semi-finals of the URC, 
last four teams Champions Cup guaranteed for next season some big names coming into sports ground next year Pete Wilkins finishing this season on a high a new coaching staff in place it's all it's all coming up millhouse for for Connacht isn't it <laughs> yeah well hopefully like I think um, we kind of said it last week talking about the win against Ulster that it did show progression in the last three or, or five years or so but I, and again having a win rate now this year of I don't have the maths exactly in front of me. It's about 56%. Like, um, these are all positive. And these all show growth. I think one of the really good things is, yeah, okay, we've got some silence coming in and we've got some really, really interesting new coaches coming in. But the age demographic of our squad is still so young. Like, look at the players that we spent most of the season talking about. Okay, with the, with the exception of, you know, Finlay is probably the oldest of the ones that we kind of harp on about the most. You know, Jack is 29, 30. Um, but like Niall Murray is in his early 20s. Uh, Mac is still very young. Um, Farrell is still only 28 or 29. Like, like um, not to mention Harry Langdon and, and Prendergast. And, you know, Oliver is still in his, in his, I think, 26. So it's a very much a very young squad. It's a squad that, okay, a squad that aren't used to quarterfinals and semifinals because we don't get to them very often. But here they are at a really early stage in their career getting that experience, Okay. And you have the same head coach retained next year. So you have the same vision of, you know, let's say the things that we've done right. And then you have players or people coming in who can hopefully help us in the areas that we've gone wrong. I think there'll be a lot to decompress of that final. But I think other games during the season will be looked at in a little bit more detail. And that gives this new coaching ticket a great platform to push these young lads on. And it's also, you know, there are going to be international products coming the way of these guys. And I think that brings a lot of confidence back to the squad. You can see, you know, you can see with the likes of Mac and Finley and Bundy back again, more so last week, but they're used to winning with Ireland. They're used to that, you know, um, environment of, of, you know, hard work and, you know, getting success out of it. So I think the more that happens, the better it will be for us going forward. And as I say, it's, it's a young squad, and I think a lot of them are have put their hands up and said, I'm here, keep watching. Yeah, absolutely, well put. Uh, so we will do a proper kind of recap of the season podcast soon, uh, but just wanted to end on that high note after maybe some some uh, negative talk. But uh, second semi-final was an absolute cracker, as we all hoped it would be. Leinster, Munster in the Aviva. Munster pulling the upset, 16 points to 15, bet them by a point. Um, and while a game only had three tries, it was absolutely fantastic to watch. Um, Sam Munster absolutely w- well deserved the win. They were they were the better team in the day. Better team for the pretty much the entirety of the game. Yeah, like it was. I thought that the score before halftime was going to really kick Munster in the sack, and it was just going to be the opening of the floodgates for Leinster. But I think there was a change too many for Leinster. And I said last week, you know, Munster backs against the wall creating a narrative that they they're you know cornered it's they're a wounded animal when they're like that and they're they're just relentless in the way that they go about it and i think that the under roundtree this year they've added a new dynamic to their play uh, and that is to you know not just have the fight the traditional monster fight which they do have they've got the, a much better all-round game plan and since that kind of period where they shipped about 150 points in three games, they've really looked to shore up the defense. I thought everything they did, they did 
like men possessed. They defended really well. They attacked when they did. I thought they were silly to not take the three when they didn't take the three and went to corner and it didn't work out for them. And then I thought Leinster were the silly to not take the three as well and make it a five-point game and it really bit them in the ass. So I think you got to give kudos to uh, Munster for going with a game plan to upset that Leinster team. And I've, I've heard a couple of people saying, oh, yeah, it was a Leinster B team, Leinster C team. Get the fuck. Like Leinster have gotten to where they are in the league playing those exact sort of teams all year. They've dominated the league through that and they were beaten on the day by a Munster team that just pushed for it a little bit more, had their game plan in check and and played every minute of that entire game. So I think through gritted teeth, you know me, uh, I say fair play to them because I was really, really impressed with them. And from watching our game against Stormers and how we were able to upset them, Munster in the last few weeks and then Munster's game against Leinster there, I actually just, I think that there's every chance Munster can go down to South Africa and do the business because they were brilliant and you have to say you know kudos to Crowley for taking the drop goal I believe that's his first drop goal as a professional rugby player which is some going uh, I love a game that's you know settled with a drop goal it's such a kind of an iconic movieable moment in rugby and there's not many moments in rugby a lot of times like you know rugby scores are long boring slogs where it fall over the try line eventually but you know a drop goal is such an iconic kind of you know picturesque style of winning uh moment in rugby so yeah that, that was huge and i think that leinster be licking their wounds a couple of players there i don't think that there was too many in the starting team but in the overall squad you know could be involved next week and they'll they'll have something to prove now and it could it could end up going from a a season that looked phenomenal, two home finals, walk in the league to to the bubble bursting, maybe. I'm just putting it out there. The, the bubble is the well. Look, look, time will tell. I don't think the bubble's bursting, but uh, Westy, if you were, you know, if you were a closet Lancer fan like you are, um, how would you be? Would you be happy with the team that was selected? I, I agree with Sam. I, I think that's a bullshit excuse, but. Um, does it even matter if you go this weekend beat La Rochelle do you even care Like, how would you view this if you were a Leinster fan okay this is a blue t-shirt it's not a Leinster jersey just want to point that out it says Helen back on it you know it's uh, I do those kind of things I'm a, I'm a fit guy um, what was the question <laughs> how did I feel if I was Leinster with that <laughs> what was the question you're, you're just so caught up with the Leinster fan you lost you caught a Leinster fan <laughs> I'll say as a if you were a Leinster fan like would you be annoyed at the team selection that Leo Cullen went for again if they win this weekend coming against La Rochelle would you even care no I think um, look like it, it, people sometimes put this out and be like oh like they don't care about this they're putting out a B team it's not a B team Leo Cullen's putting out a team that he thinks can win that game you know, um, a team that he thinks is good enough, and they would, they would, they didn't play their best rugby, and they were still there thereabouts. You know, as you say, a drop goal, one of the last by a point. Um, so I think, um, I don't know if I would, I, I would think there was a little bit too much complacency in the team pick because you know you have the likes of Van der Fleer coming off the bench. Like he, there's quality all around that squad. It's not, it's not a Leinster team that you'd see playing Connacht necessarily. Um, but it was, it was a slightly below. Uh, let's say optimum Leinster um, starting team. Uh, one of the things I think that's really important that's come out of this, and it kind of came out last year as well, and this doesn't really include Connacht, we're still a little bit behind, but it's becoming increasingly difficult for Leinster to play these teams against the other Irish provinces. And I think overall that can only be a good thing. We saw it last year, Leinster played weakened teams twice against Ulster and they lost twice. This year they had to give them respect and, and play close to a, a, a let's say a European team. Um, and the same thing now, I don't know if Munster have necessarily crossed that line, but 
I think the next time Leinster play them, they'll probably have to err on the side of playing a little bit uh, a little bit of a stronger selection. So I think that as a whole is only good for Irish rugby. You know, you it's all well and good if you're picking your uh, international team off, you know, one club team like so many people do. Saracens in England, Toulouse in France, uh, the Crusaders in New Zealand. You know, they base their international teams around these guys, but you need your other teams to be strong and you need them to be able to push them. And I think that's a really good outcome from this game is that maybe now Leinster have to treat Ulster and Munster like their European games when those Interpros come around. So um, I don't I don't think anybody would be too upset with Leo Cullen. I mean, hindsight's 2020, right? It's easy to look back now and say, oh, we should have picked a stronger team. But I think going into it, I think most Leinster fans were pretty confident in the team that they had picked, you know? Not so long ago, Harry Byrne was the anointed child coming in and Crowley has well and truly slapped them back down to fourth or fifth in the pecking order. So yeah, you, you tweeted that that should have booked Crowley's uh, plane ticket to France. Sam, do you do you agree with that? I think Crowley has the plane ticket to France because of what he's shown so far. I don't think it's necessarily that one game. I thought he was quite good. I don't think a, a winning drop goal, much like I didn't think the Ross Byrne kicking a conversion from the sideline, was the well and truly putting the putting to bed the argument about him being the second choice. I'd like. That's a part of a 10s game. It's the overall game that's important. I think, you know, Ross Byrne and Crowley are the two and three right now, but I think personally in that order, uh, I like Crowley more as a, and from the style of play and I'd like to see him play a bit more, but he's a bit younger and Ross Byrne has been doing it for Leinster for a good few years now and he's he's cool as a cucumber when needs be. So it's, it's hard to say. Uh, I don't think that that one moment is going to be the reason he goes on the plane. I think it's what he's shown consistently now for the guts of this season and what he's shown potentially wise and in his Ireland camp that's going to be the reason he goes on the plane but it's far more fun to tweet that that's his ticket booked because he scored a drop goal to win the game yeah that's an amazing is that is that a dig at Westie that's a dig it's the one time I tweet bloody hell (laughs) no it's a dig at everyone it's a dig at the the need for and this is not you Westie but it's a dig at the need for like a narrative to come out of every good display, every good performance. It was like, anytime Harry Byrne played well against Zebra, he was the next in line. Prendergast played well in the under-20s, he was the next in line. Yeah, Prendergast played well for Leinster, he was next in line. It's like, I, I just don't think you need a narrative. I think you, you accumulate the story over the course of an entire season. And Crowley has been very good and he's been on a rise in a trajectory that was capped off with a cherry on top moment in a semi-final where their 10 was injured and he had to move into the 10, you know, from 12. So, I think overall it's a great story, but yeah, it's it's. I, I don't believe that that one moment is any reason. I think that there was a brilliant moment. Uh, I'd like to give a little bit of shout out uh, to John Klein for playing. I think nineteen games in a row he's been playing, which is for a second row in a monster team is just phenomenal. Uh, and he is someone who would think should be on the plane. It's, it's it's almost bemusing that he's not in an Irish squad now. He's uh, he's eligible for South Africa. Again. Yeah, I know, which is even the funniest thing. Like, it's imagine they pulled called him up and they would, uh, how did Munster let him go? And it was like, no, Ireland didn't pick him, man. Like, exactly. Off the ball, we're at it again today with Ben Healy. Like, how was he let go? And you're like, uh, you can't keep people as slaves. Like, you can't hold on to people. They want to go. But, to go. Like, he was offered a yeah, yeah, exactly. He was offered a contract. Now maybe the contract wasn't great. But Munster would have to have they would have a non IQ ten where they already have two international tens, uh, and it just it just wouldn't work. Like it's simple, but again, off the ball are going off the ball. But uh, well, just on Crowley, what I love about him is, and this could be just because he's so young that he doesn't really really get it yet. 
he he loves the big moment. Now again, there isn't really any scar tissue there yet either, so uh, that that might come with age. Hopefully, it doesn't because he seems to love the big moment and seems to to rise to the occasion. And again, what I love about him is we've spoken this before. He's he's quite different to a Sexton and, and a Rossburn, uh, which I think is also important. But no, look at Munster. Hats off. They they absolutely outplayed Leinster. Um, they deserve their final spot. And what like Graham Rowntree? First of all, anytime he speaks, it's just great to listen to him. He, like you can tell. You can see why players absolutely love him, especially after the shite they probably had to listen to with Van Graan. Uh, to come back, like I'm absolutely petrified of months for the next two, two, three, four, five years. God knows how long. Like they had, a, they didn't have a great year this year in terms of consistency, and they finished uh, sixth, fifth, even sorry, fifth. Um, so you can imagine now if this sort of team with this sort of form starts next season, uh, they're going to be a top three team, uh, top four worst. Uh, and they're only going to get stronger and stronger. So uh, absolutely credit to them. I will also own up on a mistake. I saw the video going round of Stormers cheering uh, back in South Africa. And I, of course, stupidly thought like, oh my God, the disrespect towards Munster. But I think Sam, as you pointed out, it was actually a home semi-final. A home final. Where they didn't have to travel. Yeah. Oh, sorry, not home even, final. Not even the travel. I believe they've been in administration since before last year's final. So the home final financially for the club is huge uh, and well, they're putting there's tickets available for 3 euro I think yeah currently uh, they, they had 40,000 at the game the other day like what a great home stadium too bad the pitch is an absolute load of shite but supposedly it's getting changed why the is summer. the pitch so bad they're letting it go to pot because they're changing it anyway this summer is what I read uh, it's getting a whole new resurface so they're letting it go to absolute pot but at the moment, there's a Curry Cup game scheduled for the day before the final on that same pitch. Could you imagine? Uh, yeah, and really then I read reschedule that. I read something about a monster truck rally mid-season being on that pitch that wrecked the pitch as well. Uh, I'd I'd love for that to be confirmed for me. If it if it's not, it's one of the funniest rumors I've ever heard. Uh, and if it is true, it's one of the most mental things that anyone who owned a stadium ever allowed to happen mid-season. But uh, it looks like the monster truck rally was the day before. Never mind mid-season. Like every any slow motion replay, there was just sand and turf flying up in the air like a bomb site. It was crazy. Oh, it was nuts! Like, uh, yeah, but hopefully that doesn't. Uh, yeah, you would hope that wouldn't be a factor. But I think again, one, it's going to be an absolute slog fest anyway. It's not like it's going to be um fifty five points to forty seven. You know, it's not going to be a high scoring. I don't think. Uh, but yeah, congrats to Munster. Um, I genuinely mean that. I don't know if Sam does, uh, but I genuinely mean that. I, I'm saying congrats to them. To be PC, your PC, PC. I'm, I'm saying yeah. I'm saying congrats to I. I have many Munster friends, uh, and I'm I'm happy for them. In- I'm I'm not anti Munster. So my friends are Munster. <laughs> that's, that's how anti Munster Sam is. No, and he in, knows a guy who's Munster. In a way, in a way, I'm like okay, fair enough. Uh, I think you know, it was a great story. Now Earl's coming back. Uh, John Klein. I like I like a lot of the Munster players. I'm just like yourself, petrified of where they can get to now because they have a a deep-rooted rugby DNA. And I know that that's kind of overplayed a little bit, but I do believe that that does exist in clubs in all sports. Like, I'm a Liverpool fan, and throughout the 90s and early 2000s, Liverpool were shite. But there was a very deep-rooted thing that just allowed for these footballing miracles to happen, like Istanbul or, you know, last-minute winners, like our goalkeeper going up and scoring a last-minute winner three games from the end of the season to win the league. All of those things, like... They happen to teams that have a deep-rooted DNA, and Munster is that. And Munster were just looking for someone to kind of really grab it by the reins and to to push it on. I think Roundtree is such a good coach. He's he's tying in that old Munster with a lot of really good new stuff. They've made some shrewd signings in O'Brien and Ankerville. I think uh, 
I think they are one heavy away from being very, very competitive next year. And it's it's worrying from a Connex point, point of view because we have to play them twice, which is the bullshit thing about the uh, the shield system. Yeah, it is. And I will say I loved uh, Prendergast's reaction in the in the coaching box. Like, just passion, fucking loves it. Uh, I do like to see that. Um, that wraps up that game. We'll also look to Connacht Rugby. have announced their appointment of Mark Sexton. Uh, to next season's professional coaching team. The coaching team has be has been complete. He will be in the role of assistant attack coach, uh, working with Pete Wilkins. Uh, and yeah, we obviously come from the academy. He's worked with Irish on the 20 teams. Uh, pretty highly touted coach as well. I think, um, Westy, this is... It adds to what is a very promising and exciting coaching ticket. Maybe a little bit unproven, but the potential, like everything else, is, is very much there. Am I the only one who sees the irony of um, the Little Brothers of Irish Rugby signing the Little Brother of Irish Rugby's biggest name? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I saw um, the headline Sex in the Cart and I was like, yes, he did it. <laughs> He's had a Our 10 problems are over. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's it's a fantastic signing. It really is. As I say, he's been involved with Kong for a couple of years, helping to develop some key players in the academy. So he'll have had a relationship with a lot of players. He's been working with the under-20s. The under-20s attack was a joy to watch uh, during the under-26 Nations. So um, bringing him in as an assistant coach to share some of the responsibilities of Pete Wilkins, he'll probably be a job of, you know, whilst it, it seems like a really uh, um, communicative environment uh, under friendly, I'm sure that will remain under Wilkins, but it will be to kind of execute Wilkins' vision, but also to, to put his own spin on it. So it's good because... Look, even if we even if we went on to win the league this year, you, your game has to evolve, your attack has to evolve, your defense has to evolve if you want to have continued success. And bringing in someone, someone like Sexton Junior, um, will help us do that. And and again, it, it adds to look. We have this tradition of of bringing in, I don't want to say inexperienced coaches, but let's say younger coaches. You know, we had Nigel Carlin for years, and you know he had some great success with the Ireland twenties. He's had some great success now. Um, well, he's doing a great job in, in Glasgow. We'll see if they if they have any success out of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a continued tradition in Connacht of bringing through, um, again, I would say young necessarily, but young coaches. You know, we've got Fardy and, and Muldoon as well to add to Sexton to it. Um, so it's it's a really exciting young coaching ticket to bring in. Obviously, we we have to take some chances in the in the ways that we recruit. Fardy has been a fantastic player, a part of a fantastic amount of squads, but very much green in the coaching route, where Sexton has really, really strong coaching experiences at different levels. And as I said, we're quite a young squad going into next year. So having someone like like Mark Sexton there to help these young lads can you develop, I think is going to be really, really important. Yeah, I will say one thing. Again, just shows you how old Johnny is that his younger brother is in coaching. And secondly, the app, the, the genetic hairlines in the Sexton family is so impressive. Even more impressive maybe than the rugby. Uh, I'm just looking at a picture from here. That is a forward hairline uh, that I'm, I am envious of. Uh, so that's kind of my two cents on that. But uh, Sam, uh, you're, you seem very, you're, you're pleased with this signing. Really pleased. I, like, I think it was quite a funny one considering like we had heard a couple of weeks ago that he was in line to come up. Uh, Ruan was on Galway Bay and did a really good interview and he had said that the last piece of the puzzle was a forwards coach which was confirmed or a defence coach, sorry, which confirmed as Fardy, and then a skills coach. So 
for him to be announced as a assistant attack coach is different to a skills coach. I don't know if it was misspoke from Ruan or if they changed what they looked for. The interview process allowed him to prove that that was the position he's going to be in. But I figure he'll probably be heavily involved in the skills side of things under the the game plan of Pete Wilkins, who's going to remain in charge of the attack. So really shrewd appointment. He was in the club already as a player development officer at the academy. The 20s, you know, double Grand Slam winners. He was involved in that setup. That's that's quite in keeping with the tradition of Connacht bringing through and promoting from within and giving faith to these coaches. And, you know, we've seen Collie Tucker doing it this year. Yamasi Lawler's moving to Munster, but he was excellent as well. Uh, I think that that's a side of Connacht that I really like. And it's a side of Irish rugby that I think is very important, you know, to develop coaches around the provinces, to bring them through, to feed into the international team as well. Like McNamara's down to Sharks, but, you know, any chance he could come back up, especially with what's going on in Ulster at the moment. So I think that that's a really important uh, aspect to it. I think we're not going to get a Jackson Eanbar as our coach. I like I like the look of the coaching setup. I think it's young in terms of its its coaching experience. And it's also one with a lot to, you know, a lot to prove and will want to make points. So, yeah, it, I, I think it's a really good potential or really potentially good signing uh, from a coaching side of things. Obviously, everything can work out one way or another. But what it does kind of remind me of is every interview we've done as a podcast so far with ex of players, like an, uh, the likes of uh, Paul Boyle or Finley Bielham or even Oltalana said it in the past, is the the overarching theme along most, most of them is was kind of struggling a little bit after the under-20s and Nigel Carolyn gave me a ring and I joined the Connacht Academy and I became a Connacht Centaurian. And this could be the same thing. He's got that, that influence in amongst the young Irish players the up and coming players, he can he can feed a dream of coming. You spoke earlier about how many under 23s or how many 23 year olds we have in the first team. I don't know the stats off by heart. Leinster probably going to poo poo this because they can play their 10th choice players a lot during the year. But I'd say we're quite high in terms of yeah, or quite low in terms of the average age of players and minutes in, in Ireland. And I think that's something that bringing through these people who have ties to the academies, to younger teams, to younger players and stuff will be really important. So, yeah, it's exciting to now know that the coaching ticket's in place. Very strange, g- given that uh, Bernard Jackman said that we were very close to getting an international or former international coach. Uh, still don't know who that might be, but to go from that to Mark Sexton is a big jump. So I'm, I'm hoping that they didn't just fall back on something if something fell through and that, you know, the due process was put in place and that he's the best man for the job. But it's, it's a strange one to hear that that had couple of weeks ago we were close to a former international coach to now get uh sexing but now really excited by the by the prospect of it i think connor just leaking these like we were so close to getting these incredible yeah, you know, at least he wanted players. to come but like yeah we just no fell through last lights. second <laughs> yeah uh another question is will jack neenbar still come now that the bubbles burst to leinster that's that's the main question uh speaking of leinster though we'll wrap up with the champions cup final is on this saturday at quarter to five Leinster hosts La Rochelle in the Aviva Stadium. Um, we won't go too deep into this. Obviously, we're we're both excited. We're all excited to watch this game because it's two of the best teams in Europe. Uh, I think we all expect Leinster now will have a bit more of uh, after losing to Munster. I think some of the senior players they're going to be well up for this. It's just a case of can they solve the puzzle that La Rochelle posed for them. Speaking of incredibly aggressive physical teams, La Rochelle are probably the best in the world at that. Uh, but yeah, I hope everyone will wrap up there, lads. I hope everyone enjoys watching that game. We'll be back next weekend to recap it all. Uh, I said we will have a Connacht uh, season kind of recap podcast as well coming up. 
Uh, I also have one for Ulster, and I'll probably try and do one for each of the provinces as well. Uh, but yeah, we'll wrap it up there, boys. I hope everyone enjoys the next few days of sun. If there is any, catch us next week. Night-night. Good night. Good night.